many people love baby dedications as much as I do? Am I the only one? Is it cool? There's like two people like, meh. I think they're great. So there you go. Uh, you know, it's funny. Every time we do a baby dedication, though, I, I get asked a question, uh, uh, usually once or twice, and it's the same question always, and it's this. It's, um, do you do baby uh, baptism as well? Uh, and so the answer to that is no, we don't, and it's not for any big reason. I know that there's some of us here who grew up Catholic, uh, and there's baby baptisms then, and a church I used to go to in Philadelphia was a church that also did baby baptism. So it's not because I, uh, I have anything theologically against it. It just so happens that our church comes from a, um, it comes from a tradition uh, called the Independent Christian Church. And the Independent Christian Church, their tradition is that you do a believer's baptism, which means if you come of, once you come of age and you make a decision for yourself, uh, you, you, get, you get baptized. So why dedication? Well, dedication is our parents saying, hey, we have a child, we need help. And uh, we want to dedicate our child to this church, this community, to Jesus Christ, so that we can do this collectively all together. That's why that's beautiful. But it also made me realize it's probably time to give a message about baptism. So I'm going to do it. You guys ready for it? How many people have been baptized here? Let me see. Whether you're a baby, maybe not a baby. Almost everybody. Almost everybody. Um, uh, baptism looks completely different and feels completely different to a lot of people. I was baptized when I was eight. Anybody else baptized around that time? Yeah? Okay. Um, I can tell you exactly why I got baptized. I got baptized because I was really afraid. That's why I got baptized. I grew up in a denomination that said if you didn't dunk your head under the water with this certain denomination, you were going to go to hell. And so uh, at that point, uh, I was eight years old. I was allowed to ride my bike on the street, which means there was a chance of me getting hit by a car. Uh, and I thought to myself, you know what? I better get baptized just in case. So I, I did. So when I was eight years old, I got baptized. We went to Red Lobster afterward. It was amazing. Um, uh, and here's the thing. When people talk about baptism, people talk about uh, repentance, right? And I preach about repentance all the time. Repentance isn't what we think it is. It's not this turn and burn kind of language, right? It's not. Repentance is this actually beautiful word. It's like this amazing word, which means um, change the way you think about your life or change the way you, your heart works. So it's actually this like big change. It's like this big turn. That's what it is. I used to think it was this like terrible judgmental word. Now I love it. Um, and so when they talk about baptism, when I was growing up, it was about repentance. And what I found is it wasn't so much about repentance for me. It was about adhering to like three or four cultural behaviors that were deemed appropriate after baptism, right? So like no drinking, no partying, no fornication, right? Everybody with me here? Sort of, yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, it was like, you know, you believe in some theological platitudes, right? And some of those theological platitudes are like, you know, believe this thing, believe that thing, and believe this thing, and if you don't believe those things, you're wrong. If you do believe them, defend them, and that's baptism, right? So there wasn't really a repentance, a changing of heart, or a changing of the way I live. There was more like, let me adopt some rules. That's what it was more like. So, if you were like me, which I think many of you here, uh, those rules don't hold up all the time, which is why we have a, a thing called rededication, right? How many people got rededicated? Anybody? Thank you, Gabriel. Back here. I was rededicated about five times. <laughs> Seriously. The reason I was rededicated so much is because I broke one of the, you know, the rules, right? So I go out drinking in the woods with my buddies. I come to church on Sunday. I'd be like, you know what? I better rededicate myself. Like, yeah, I love that you're in the back. Just going, yep. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you know, I better, I better get myself right with God again because it wasn't necessarily about a repentance or a change of heart of mind. It was about, did I break the rules? Do I believe the right things? That's what it was about. 
I remember it was my fifth like rededication, and I was like, I hope this one sticks. You know, I was like, this is gonna be the one where I change. And I was getting ready to go to college, and I remember being up there being rededicated uh, because you know this baptism didn't quite work, and and I remember thinking like, this is it. Like I'm I'm tired. I, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. And I remember like being up there, like going through the motions, and then going, you know what? If I keep having to rededicate myself and there's no real change, I'm just done. I just leave it. And that's what I did. Just left. Just left the church. And I was like, I'll figure this out later on, but right now none of this makes sense. I was tired. How many people in this room uh, feel tired by religion, by Christianity, by some form of it, by something that's going on? Maybe something we're unsure of. Maybe we were raised a certain way, and that way doesn't quite make sense to us anymore. We're like, well, where do I go from here? I mean, I feel tired, um, tired uh, maybe a little angry, because we see what people are doing in the name of Jesus, and it doesn't feel very Jesus-like, any of those people. Yeah, that, that feels that way quite a bit. We're tired. You know what? Uh, um, I, I rallied full force against what I considered the fundamental right until I realized about three or four years later that I was on the fundamental left and I had just traded one form of fundamentalism from another ever to another. And so I was just as angry and just as judgmental and just as tired going the other direction, which is why I feel like we started this church. As I said, our church forefront, we want to bring people into disorder. Do you remember me saying this a couple weeks ago? But we also want to reorder our lives. We want to find a new way of doing this. Today, I want to find us a new way of doing baptism. A new way of talking about baptism, ways in which it matters, ways in which it makes a difference. I know for me, you know, the idea that God is so loving that God sends his son, but if you don't get dunked under the water, that God will also send you to hell doesn't quite work for me. So how do we do it differently? What's the Spirit speaking to us this Sunday? Just why baptism matters. What I'm going to need for you guys right now is I'm going to need you guys to take a trip with me, okay? Can you do it? This is going to be a little bit more cultural context stuff. You, you guys have the you guys have it in you? Alright, I feel like it's gonna be a little bit college college lectury. So I just need you to stay with me, okay? Alright. Good, good. Um so uh I need you to put yourselves uh in the year like eighty seventy, okay? Put yourselves there. Okay, so Jesus has already come. He's already come and he's gone. Alright, he's he's resurrected, he's risen. Uh you are left, okay? And you you've been left for about forty years. Okay, so you, um, you've heard of Jesus before, but Jesus is like the generation before you. Your parents or your grandparents knew of Jesus, okay? You are, you're, you sort of hear the stories of Jesus. You don't quite know who Jesus is or what Jesus is about just yet, or we following along. But what you do is you still go to the temple, okay? Because that's what everybody does. Everybody goes to the temple, and the temple's beautiful. It's huge. It's, it's like the center of your life, the temple, and the temple is where you go to hear the voice of God. Okay? So even though your like, family loves Jesus, you're still going to the temple all the time. Now before you get to the temple, here's what you do. There's all these baths outside. Right? And what you do is before you go into the temple, you hop in one of the baths, and you immerse yourself. What does that sound like? Baptism. They call it a mikvah. And why do they do the mikvah? Here's why they do the mikvah. I'm going to read it. It comes from Exodus. It's a commandment from, uh, from the Lord to Moses. This is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. And then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. <laughs> when you just read this like plain reading, 
It sounds like, I'm going to audibly speak to you. I am the Lord your God, so do your laundry. That's what it sounds like. But it's not. It's basically saying, hey, immerse yourself. If you want to hear my voice, get yourself clean, immerse yourself, mikvah yourself. So that's what people would do. Before they would enter the temple, they would be mikvah. They'd dunk themselves in the water. They'd pull themselves up. Now they're clean before God. Now they're ready to go into the temple. And this was what happened for thousands upon thousands of years until a few of us that are living in Israel about 40 years after Jesus, a few of us got a little rowdy, okay? I'm going to blame Evan. I'm going to blame a couple others. I have to. Um, and what we did is we said, you know what? We're tired of the Roman Empire bothering us all the time. You know, God delivered us from the Egyptians. That was a pretty big empire. God will also deliver us from Rome. And so there's all these revolts and these uprisings. And the Caesar hears about these revolts and uprisings, and he goes, that's enough. And he gets this general named Vespasian. He says to Vespasian, I want you to hit them where it hurts. I want you to completely tear down the temple. I mean, like, knock it all the way down, leave nothing. So Vespasian, he tells his soldiers, you can't loot a thing. Even though the temple's beautiful, you need to knock that thing down so that it is dust. We want them to lose all hope. And that's exactly what happens. Vespasian and his troops come in, they knock down the temple, the people of Israel lose all hope. Why would you lose all hope? Because the temple is the one place where you do what? Or you hear the voice of God. The one place where you can hear the voice of God. So if the temple's gone, where do you hear the voice of God? You don't. God's now absent. So this threatens us, right? This threatens Israel. threatens the people uh, who, who, uh, uh, who practice uh, the Jewish religion. They're, 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 you know, their whole way of being is threatened. This is like 9-11 times 100. This is huge, Okay? And so you have three different sets of people, and these three different sets of people do three very different things. First off, you have a group called the Pharisees. Who's heard of the Pharisees? Pharisees, some of us here. Okay, Pharisees were Jewish teachers, and the Pharisees say, you know what, the whole reason this happened is because we were doing the wrong thing. That's why this happened to us. So let's double down on the law again, and if we double down on the law and we go back to the way it used to be, we could probably try to build the temple over again. Isn't it funny that when like tragedy strikes, what do we do? We go back to what we do best. I liked it better when it was this way. I want to go back to the way it used to be. I want to double down on what was. And we're afraid of what's ahead. There's another group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees, they were the rich Jewish aristocrats. And they said, listen, if we just pay attention to the Roman Empire and we pledge our allegiance to them, we can still pledge our allegiance to God. We just have to make political gains and make good with them. And it's funny how a lot of times what happens when we are in crisis is we go towards like a nationalistic ideal, right? We, we defend our tribe no matter what. And it's about our tribe, and that's what the Sadducees are doing. And then there was this whole other group. This whole other group was like, what do we do? We, we hear about this guy Jesus and we believe in Jesus, but what do we do? Um, we can't hear the voice of God anymore in the temple. And then, let's just say that you're walking around and somebody starts passing out this book. They're passing out this book to you, and this book is the Gospel of Matthew. That's what it is. Remember, it comes in letter form at that time. It's not like the Bible. It's not like, here's the Bible. No. It's this Gospel of Matthew. You're starting to see it for the first time. And in the Gospel of Matthew, you open it, and you're despondent. And you're despondent because your temple's gone, you don't know what's com coming, and you read something like this. This is what it says. It says, People went out to John the Baptist from Jerusalem, and all Judea, and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, remember, you have lost the place where you can experience God. You've lost the place where you are immersing yourself and you're being mikvahed. And you open up this book, and what's the first story say? It says people are being mikvahed where? In the Jordan River. This is big news. Why? Does anybody know? Now I'm getting into it. This is like the history part of this. No, so because when they crossed over into the Promised Land at the time in, in the Old Testament, they crossed over the. That's exciting. So they're like, ooh, we could be mikvahed in the Jordan River. This is incredible. And not only that, but when you think about the temple, the temple was set up to be exclusive. So it was exclusionary. Okay. So only in the middle part of the temple could you have, or in the very middle part, could one person go? That was the high priest, and he was the only one that was allowed there. Then they had this another section, this other little section that was in the middle. And uh, then some of like the um, uh, Sadducees and Pharisees were allowed there. And then you had this third section. Uh, and in the third section, men were allowed there. And then you had this fourth section. And it wasn't until the fourth section that women were even allowed to be in the temple, right? So women could only get as far as this fourth section of the temple. They couldn't get any further. And then they had a fifth, se- a fifth section for people that were like poor, commoners. And then there were people who weren't even allowed to be mixed If you were crippled in any way, you weren't allowed a baptism. If you were a eunuch, you weren't allowed a baptism. It's a popular verse in Deuteronomy that says if anybody has a testicles cut off and no longer allowed to be mikvah, you guys know it, you studied it, right? If you, uh, if you were in any way had sinned egregiously, affairs, prostitution, anything like that, you weren't allowed to be mikvah. So what you have is an, is, is an exclusionary process. What is John doing by baptizing the Jordan River? He's asking for repentance. He's saying, I know, Pharisees, you want to go back to the way it was and double down on the law. And Sadducees, you want to jump in with the tribe. But I'm telling you, there's a new way to do this, and it is inclusive. It allows everyone to come in. It says everybody is worthy of a new change of heart and a new change of mind. It says you no longer need one temple over here to hear God. Guess where God is? Everywhere. Around us. Around us. That is the good news. So can you see? Right when the Pharisees and Sadducees come over, he goes, hey, you brood of vipers, repent. You get why he's doing that? He's not saying, hey, you're going to burn in hell. He's saying, change your heart and change your mind. Change the way you think about where you can find God. You're not going to find God in the temple any longer, but you can find God right here in the Jordan, right here where you guys crossed over into freedom before. And then it culminates, right? How does it culminate? Because now you're reading the story and you're getting kind of excited. You're like, maybe God isn't just in the temple. Maybe God is everywhere I am. And then you read the next story, and the next story is about Jesus being baptized. Ridiculous. Right? Because some parts of you are going, well, I thought I had to be baptized in order to be clean before God, and if I wasn't clean before God, then then I I wouldn't have access to God. And here comes Jesus, who's already clean before God, right? He already is. So why does he need to be baptized? He's baptized to say, this is the change of heart of mine. I'm in. I'm the one who stands in solidarity with you. I'm the one who says no one's excluded and all are included. I'm the one that tells the people that are out that they're in. I'm the one that tells the people who think they're in that they're out. I'm the one who turns this thing upside down and I stand with you by being baptized in the Jordan River. That is a beautiful picture. It's a picture that tells us baptism isn't just for the selected. Not for the people that can afford to be in the middle of the temple not for the people who think they can only find God in one place. Baptism is where God says, I've opened this up to all of you. Everyone's included. My son shows you that. Here he is. We're going to do his baptism. 
And then what happens? A dove descends, and the, the audible voice says what? The audible voice goes, this is my son, with whom I am well pleased, right? So when's the last time God spoke audibly? At the first one. Remember, he said, I'm going to speak to, he tells Moses, I'm going to speak audibly to you. Go, declare yourself, go baptize yourself. Jesus is baptized, so he's audibly again. So what you're doing now is you're sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm repenting. I'm changing the way I'm thinking about baptism and about Jesus and about the way that we move and work within this tribe. And then the dove, oh, forget it. The last time a dove actually came down was when Moses, uh, or was when Noah was on the water and, and, you know, Noah, everything was destroyed, but this dove comes to show that God would never destroy anything ever again, that God only wants to lift up. And a dove's coming again. Do we see the symbolism here? You can see why the people who lived at this time would get excited. Do we see why the people who lived at this time would say, oh my gosh, there's a new way to do life. Maybe we don't need to be to the temple. Maybe all we have is right here. Maybe it's God with us. Maybe it's Jesus with us. Do you see the good news? Do you feel the good news? Why baptism? Because baptism brings about a true repentance. It's not doubling down on the law. It's not going back to our tribe and saying, this is right, we hold everything that's right. It's saying, wow, there is a new way of seeing it and a new way of doing life. And I might not get it right, I'm going to go on this journey. That's what it is. Why does baptism matter at Forefront? We baptized somebody two years ago. That was the last time we did it. It was a really good friend of mine. We baptized this friend. And I was excited for her baptism. I really was. Uh, and so what we do is when we baptize people, we have like a little baptismal. And then we have somebody who stands on the side and reads a letter. And it's a letter of their life. So we say, write down whatever you want to write about your life. And somebody will read it. And you get baptized. So... Uh, I knew her letter was going to, like, make me cringe a little bit. <laughs> like, I knew her letter was going to be like, I was going to be like, oh, no. Um, but it was her life. I wanted her to write about it. So sure enough, like, packed house, packed room, she's up there, and the letter starts. Sure enough, like, there's, like, curse words in it. Like, she's talking about these really, like, controversial issues in her, in her letter about her life. And, um, and I look like one or two up and walk away. And I, I looked like maybe one or two more get up and walk away. And I was psyched. I baptized my friend. It was like the best. I was really excited. And the next day I get a couple emails and a couple phone calls and there were people who were like, why, why did you let that person be baptized? Um, don't you know that they didn't know this, this, and this? Don't you know they don't know the rules? And I said, well, isn't that the point? And they said, well, we're not going to come back to this church anymore. And I was like, really, really angry. And I wasn't angry at those people who said they weren't coming back. And I wasn't angry at my friend who wrote an awesome letter. I was angry at me. I was like, um, maybe I should have edited it, right? Maybe I should have made it more palatable. Maybe I should have made it a little bit easier for people to, to digest. And maybe I shouldn't have ruffled so many fe feathers. And what I recognized were those voices in my head, the voices that I had in my head, they were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were the ones going, double down on what you knew before. Double down on your religious platitudes of your baptism. Double down on the cultural behaviors of your baptism. Double down on that. Get a big stack of books like what happened to Ben Grace, and then maybe somebody can get baptized once they have it all figured out. Those voices are authoritarian, right? Those voices act superior. The superior voice has the superior voice inside 
that voice makes me anxious. That voice makes me feel like I'm doing this wrong. That voice makes me feel like maybe, maybe that, that repentance is what we need. Maybe it is just the platitude. Maybe I should have um, stifled my friend. Maybe I should have done that. And what I recognize is those voices, those voices do not serve us. Those voices do not serve me. John says, you brood of vipers. And then I just was like, what is a viper? Why vipers? And I look, a viper bite will paralyze you. It literally stops you from moving. And I was like, wow, that's apt. You brood of vipers, you are stopping people from repenting, from seeing true change of heart and a true change of mind. And I look at Jesus' baptism, and Jesus' baptism was an absolute true change of heart and true change of mind that changes the lives of people who have already lost everything and gives them new hope. And I looked at my friend's baptism, and I said, that baptism... That one, the imperfect one that made people get up and leave, that was true repentance. That was a true change of heart. That was a true change of mind. That is why baptism matters. I think some of us are tired. I'm tired. Tired of trying to have it all figured out. If so, I invite you into baptism. I invite you into a journey that says, hey, we're going to try for repentance. We're going to try to change our hearts and to change our minds about the way we think about Jesus Christ. I invite you to baptism. Maybe some of you are in recovery. I know being in recovery gets us into repentance, doesn't it? It changes the way we think completely. And if you're in recovery, I invite you to do a new baptism. A way to change your heart, a way to change your mind. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, you know what, I'm back to being a Christian, I'm back to believing in Jesus Christ, and I want to signify that because I've gone on this journey, and I have dealt with repentance, and I want to show that to other people, I would invite you into baptism. Beautiful way to change your heart and mind. Baptism is not so that we get it right. Baptism is so that we can repent, change our hearts and minds about everything we know. And we look at Jesus Christ, who says, you know what, I'm no longer in the temple. I'm no longer exclusionary. I love each of you. I include each of you no matter where you come from, no matter your identity, no matter your orientation, no matter your background, no matter what you are included on this journey. On this so what's going to happen now is we're going to take communion and you're going to come up here and you're going to take communion and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Celebrate the, the ultimate repentance, right? The ultimate change of part of life. And there'll be somebody right over on the side of the stage here that will pray for you. If you're interested at all in thinking about being baptized, I invite you to go talk to that person and pray with them. And then after service, come talk to me. We can talk more about this transition that changed an entire group of people in the year AD 70, thinking they had to double down and instead change the culture there in that time and then continue to change the culture to the point that we're here today with three billion of us. Figuring out what it means to change our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you for the symbol of baptism. Thank you for the repentance that it means and it brings. Thank you that we don't have to have it figured out in order to be baptized. Thank you that you allow us a symbol that allows us to work towards who you are, to follow you. Thank you that it gives us new ways of doing life, new ways of thinking. Thank you that it challenges us and just thinking outside of our comfort zones and out of our boxes. And Lord, give us the continued courage to, to be baptized the courage to show our community, just like our little ones did today, uh, that we're willing to go on this journey with one another. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, let's 
Jonathan said, we invite you to come up and join in communion. Baptism does symbolize washing off the old and emerging new. There is a change of heart and a change of mind. And we have redemption. I know I've been changed.